Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Jared Brandon. Brandon Wound Pickups. Hey, everybody. It's me, Todd Novak. Welcome to the Guitar Knobs podcast. Thrilled to death that you are listening to us, with us, by us, for, for us. us. For you. That's right. It's all for you, really. It is. And, and us, too. Mostly <laughs> us, but a lot for you. Anyways, um, we're super excited because we've got a guest on that is like... It's like it's like a full house. It's like a royal flush of He's a triple of threat. Stuff. He's a quintuple <laughs> threat. Anyways, guess who are you? Oh, Andy Babuke. Andy Babuke of we I mean the, to list out all the things that you are of is going to be rather extensive. But but let me try, shall I? Shall we? Go, Go right ahead, ahead my friend. Actually, Tony, you do it. All you right. know him best. Ah. All right. So, uh well, let's start with Andy Babuke's Fab Gear, a great uh boutique should we call a boutique store guitar store yeah retail boutique guitar shop okay in upstate new york oh, that's way, number one i want to cool. go that's way number cool one stuff let's go tony not only tony, that, this is an hour show you got to speed it up buddy <laughs> okay i'm give me time uh he's also a well-renowned performer yes coming from acts such as the chesterfield kings mm-hmm. and most recently the empty hearts that's correct yep. a super group if you will super group Number three. Well, this is possibly nearest and dearest to my heart. He is the author of three of my favorite books on guitars. First off, Beatles Gear. Second, the Paul Bigsby story. And thirdly, the Rolling Stones Gear. Oh, yeah. And hopefully, I, I sent you a, an email a long time ago when I first got, I think it was the Beatles book, maybe the Bigsby book. I yeah. said, hey, when are you going to do a Who Gear book? Oh, boy. <laughs> that would be the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Andy, did we leave any major things out that people can go like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, this guy's credible? <laughs> um, I, I guess that's good for starters. I've done a couple other wacky things in my day, but that, that's good for starters. We'll take Excellent. it. Excellent. All right. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a great show. Um, uh, just a, to give you an example of these books that, that, that uh, Tony was just referencing, the Rolling Stones book alone, which is sitting on top of this pile, probably weighs as much as Jared's head. That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Jared, but that's a that is a mighty heavy head. That's a big head. It's a big it's, one. It's an eight inch head. I got to buy eight inch hats. <laughs> I'm not. That's my pants. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> that's really the truth. Oh, your okay. your haircut needs a belt. That's um. Right. Anyways, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, it, it, I, I can't. How many pages is this, Tony? One million pages. One million pages. It's it's ridiculous. It is it is so impressive, and I'm so excited to actually just dig into these. Um, but for now, we're going to start off with our announcements really quick. Um, we need to thank Road Mics for providing the Rodecaster Pro, this amazing uh, little machine in front of us, capturing all of our voices, and the Procaster Mics with Articulating Arms. Thank you so much to Rode Mics for providing these for the Guitar Knobs podcast. Much obliged, matey. Mate, they're not pirates. They're just Aussies. (laughs) They're mates, not mateys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess that would be confusing if you, or maybe not confusing if you were an Aussie pirate. Mm. 
Yeah, I guess. I anyway, guess you could be a matey mate. Um, and then also, we just want to give a quick shout out. To, uh, we got our show rolling on YouTube. Mm. It is all audio, folks. So if you're just listening along, if you're restringing your guitar and you don't have a podcast thing hanging around, but you got your big giant TV and you want to choose uh, the YouTube and put us on, we would greatly appreciate it. And also, Big Jared's got a new show on there, too. That's right. It is called Rewind Time with Brandon Wong Pickups. What I do is it's it's a very short show. It's not drawn out. I just show you the before and after of pickups that I work on. Yep. Short and sweet, just like Jared. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to get on to what's going on in our music worlds this week. This week. And we're going to start off with Tony, and then we're going to kick it over to Andy, and he's going to tell us what's up in his music world. So, uh, Tony, give us a give us a very, very... Brief rundown. A brief rundown. As, as best, you, best you can. Oh, that's very difficult. For I know. Me. So, um, I, I got, I got, I finished a very cool project this week. Um, I've done a lot of work for Joe Bonamassa, and he always sends me the goofiest things to try to replicate. Um, in this case, it was a 1963 uh, SJ200 that had. What is that? Uh, it's a jumbo bodied. Gibson. Okay. Uh, is it like a the jumbo body the big, style? It's the big one. Or is it a dreadnought? No, it's bigger than a dreadnought. So it's shaped like a jumbo. It's shaped like a jumbo. I'm just clarifying it for those yes. who are like, what the hell is that? So most SJ200s mm-hmm. have a, what you know, it's a large pickguard that has uh, engraving on it that has flowers and vines and things like that. Well, this one actually had the same design, but on an armrest. Oh uh, so yeah. Okay. On the, on the on the very top end there, mm-hmm. and his armrest that on this particular instrument was disintegrated. Although there was a portion of it that I was able to to duplicate and use as a as a pattern. So mm-hmm. this was kind these of are, a, these are those hard armrests. They're like plastic, almost like a violin thing. Yeah, piece, right? but it's not suspended. But it's right. attached to the top of the guitar. Yeah, yeah. But it's just there to cover up wear and tear and what right. Have. It's not made of corduroy. No, it okay. is not corduroy. <laughs> Um, so this one, I, I'd always wanted to try and I, to, you know, I get requests for SJ 200s and Epiphone Excellentes and all these other ones that have these goofy hand carved and then repainted, uh, guards. Mm-hmm. And that's literally how Gibson and Epiphone and many of the others, they had a person sitting there with a chisel you know, carving the design into the plastic mm-hmm. and then filling that carved in area with paint mm-hmm. and then sticking it on the guitar. Oh, right. Oh, well, man. it's celluloid. Uh, and of course, so, 50, celluloid 50, gases. 50, 60 years later, guess what? It disintegrates. It yeah. destroys everything in the guitar. So, so Joe got a hold of me. He said, hey, I've got, I just got this and I got, I've got, I got, I've got to get the new thing and I'm going to have. My- Does he have his glasses on when he's talking to you? Uh, no, usually when he, we talk, it's without glasses. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but he wears a hoodie. Okay. <laughs> at all times. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a fez. <laughs> he, we should send him a fez. Mm-hmm. But uh, so uh, I, I, his, his tech guy, whatever, uh, sent a, uh, a, uh, what was left of the original piece, and we mapped out what size it needed to be. I had a friend of mine with a CNC machine uh, take the drawings that I made and then carve into raw plastic, and then I was able to polish it out, fill in the paint. Um, I just finished it up. It came out great sent photos out joe's happy and i'm happy and fantastic so that was it's one of those projects where it was a very 
good learning experience because yeah. I didn't know if I could do things like that. Mm -hmm. It's like when I first started doing bound guards. Um, this was just something I hadn't done, and you know, it's you learn. I guess you teach yourself how to do it. Yeah. Uh, hey, and uh, tell us what's going on in your music world in uh, in uh, five words or no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us what's up. Well, uh, I got a lot of guitars in my own personal collection. Obviously, you know, my shop, you know, we've got tons and tons of product in there that we sell. But, you know, in my personal collection, I've got, I don't know, 250. I don't even know how many I have. It's, it's a lot. My son keeps on telling me I got to catalog it, but I never get around to it. Anyhow, once in a while I go um, uh, mining and I look for things that I haven't seen for like 10 years or so. So <laughs> I, I pull out guitars that I go, Oh fuck. I, I, I don't, I, I forgot I had this. And then like, you know, obviously the strings are bad on it and I got to set it up and stuff. And so I, I've been doing that lately just because of the COVID thing and not doing a lot of other stuff. So, um, that that's been kind of fun. It's like going shopping in your own closet. I go shopping in my guitar collection, find out that, you know, Wow, I forgot I had this. That's it's always fun. Nice, very cool. Is there one in particular that you pull out and you're like, "Hey, oh, what's this?" I, I recently just found a guitar that I forgot I had. Was a, a I got a white Les Paul. It's from the '80s. It was right, right, right when um, they they uh, moved the factory, and it, it was a it was called White Pearlescent and had like a gold. I think it's a they didn't clean the tubes. They were probably doing gold tops and they didn't clean the tubes and they sprayed white and it <laughs> oh. turned. You know how they'd give it another name just yeah. because they Screw basically screwed up. up the paint. Yeah. Um, hey, Jimmy, I messed this one up. No, you didn't. It's yeah, at, <laughs> at the time, it was, uh, you couldn't get, um, you know, a white penguin. And I was like, oh, man, if I got this and I put a gold Bigsby on it, it'll look close a white penguin well it's nothing like a white penguin but you know at the time you couldn't get a gretch white penguin and uh, you know an old one would be absolutely absurdly priced back then even back then they were so um that was the closest thing that i had thing weighs a ton it's got to be like 13 pounds or something it's like <laughs> <laughs> but, i'll loan you my kickstand <laughs> no, yeah really and and i i had to um yeah, I mean, the next beautiful on it, it's got great, nice, small frets on it. It's actually a really beautiful guitar, but I mean, the strings were horrible on it. I just had, I, I probably haven't seen the guitar in 10 years. Easy. Mm. So, I mean, that that's always fun when you find something that you own that you forgot you own, and it's kind of cool. You know, yeah. and I got a lot of stuff like that. So, I've been one at a time going through, hey, what, what's in this case? You know, what's this? Oh, oh wow. Mm. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah. So, I guess... Being that I can't go out and tour and play, I mean, that's about the next best thing I can have other than selling guitars, right? That does sound like fun. Hopefully, I get to have some kind of fun <laughs> like that at some point in my life. Um, Jared, how about yourself, buddy? So, I had a very nice, long, dull, boring, you know, thing of the week. And instead, I talked to my buddy on the phone today. I haven't talked to him in a long time. And... He plays guitar and he's like, Hey, I got this Martin D 10 and it's got big giant strings on it. That's what it came with. And it just sounds, it sounded really good, but, uh, 
the the giant strings were just the heavy gauge strings were just too much for my fingers. So I got light string gauge and now it sounds too trebly. And it's like, I don't know what to do. What would you do? And I said, I don't know. You should probably get a set of string, like just go up one gauge and you know, maybe you have to compromise. Or tell him to get a D thirty five or D forty five. No, he so was that the right thing to tell him, guys, or what? I mean, what do you think, Tony? Bain? Well, I mean, yeah, some guitars are meant to be strung heavy, and you know, you can always lighten the the gauge down. And you know, it, it depends on what the he's, type of strings, too. Yeah, I mean, if he's using like a phosphorus bronze string, it's going to sound super bright. He yeah. might be better with a eighty twenty, or you know, we when we talked to Kurt. Uh, Mangan, mm, get some Manels. The, the Manel strings. Oh, man, those are so uh, good sounding. Those, those, you know, tend to be a little bit, I, I guess, on the darker side. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell him to go get some Manels. There you go. There's the and he can save uh, 15% off right now at uh, Kurt Mangan using the guitar knobs ding, 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 discount. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. People Don't go do it one. on electric and acoustic strings. Just saying. How about you, Todd? Well, uh, I did a little bit. I did another little cool demo. I kind of found a little corner of, of the guitar world to hide in. Or a little, well, I don't hide very much, but um, I've been doing these one-minute wonders uh, what, that I call them just because I try to keep it to one minute, and I don't... I'm not a virtuoso, you know, so I just go like, hey, this is what this is the sound that I like from this pedal. I and so it. I called it One Minute Wonder. And what was interesting is, is that your wife's nickname for you? Uh, no! <laughs> I mean, I'm setting myself up for this. I also think it's kind of funny that, you know, we're called the guitar knobs and that is the one minute wonder. So, you know, the jokes abound, everybody. Uh, but what I found to be interesting is as I was, um, I had it mic'd up. I had my Supro Blackmagic mic'd up with the, with the little Shure. And as I was positioning it, um, boy, oh boy, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, but my mic positioning was just making... A, a huge, huge difference. And I, to me, that was kind of, um, I think that was really eye opening because it's one thing miking it live. I think you don't, there's so many other things going on. You don't exactly get a pure sound out of that. Um, but when you are in your basement and you mic it up and it's going straight in your headphones, you're like, wow, I moved it a half an inch and that sounds like a completely different signal altogether. So, um, that was really cool to check that out. And um, uh, so that's what I was doing. Just going like, oh, what if I move it here? What if I point it this way? What if I put it, you know, yeah. you know, off uh, off center? What if I, you know, uh, so. You're well on your way to becoming a studio wizard. <laughs> yeah, right. Look <laughs> out, <laughs> uh, John Fendel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so that was, that was kind of fun. Just kind of tooling nice. around with that. And uh, somehow I managed to make the simple things so much more complicated in my <laughs> Yeah, Bravo. anyways. Bravo. Um Andy, uh we are going to jump into something real quick. One, two, one, two, three, four on the floor. Hey Jared. Yo. You know, I was looking at your pedal board the other day That's and right. I was just admiring it. It is so neat and tidy and reliable. What's your secret? I use tour gear. Tour the gear designs? <laughs> Yeah, actually, they're... The they're, patch cables? They're the best patch cables you could possibly get. They're Sorry, I dropped the cue card. They're small. <laughs> they they fit in every pedal and any position of the pedal, and you can have other pedals real close together and sandwich them in. But I can't do that because I wear size 14 shoe. But however, 
seriously. Well, you must have spent a fortune on that. I didn't. That you know, they're under six bucks. They start in under six bucks. Five thirty-two to be exactly. Yep, Five thirty-two, and there's a discount too. That's correct, Amundo. You can head over to tourgeardesigns.com forward slash discounts forward slash the guitar knobs and you're going to save 10% on your entire order 10% and you're not going to get one you're going to get several because they uh, are fantastic and you can get them in three packs which is actually like that's really smart to do so you should be doing that get a a variety get a variety they're all hand tested and um, they we could not recommend them anymore they sign the little thing on there they sign the little thing on there just like little Jared says take it from Jared all right so tourgeardesigns.com forward slash discounts forward slash the guitar knobs and your pedal board's gonna be rocking all right we are going to check in with Andy Babuke and we're gonna find out his four on the floor all right well first of all i'm the kind of guy that give me a really good amp and a real good guitar and a guitar cable and i'm fine but that's if you're just playing in your house if you're going to actually play live you're going to need something if you want to take a lead or do something fancy you need something that has a little boost there's a lot of great pedals out there that give you a little boost uh you got to have that and then the other favorite thing that i like to have is a fuzz you got to have a really good gnarly fuzz not a distortion pedal a fuzz okay and then my third weapon is a great tremolo box because you never know if, if you're doing a fly-in gig and you you know you know you get an app that doesn't have the right kind of tremolo you gotta have the right kind of tremolo for me yeah and then last but not least you gotta have a tuner on that rig because <laughs> of course you go out of tune unless you got stellar guitar techs yeah, you got to touch it up a little bit. So there's your four on the floor. What kind? Yeah, do you Tuner. have do you have do you have favorites of each of those? Um, I got like every vintage pedal, and then I've got like a multitude of all kinds of like new stuff and things that have been around for a long time. So I don't really, I'm yet to find the ultimate fuzz. To me, the best sounding fuzz is Satisfaction. There's nobody makes a pedal that sounds like that riff, and it's the most known riff there is it was the riff that started all you know effects pedal the whole industry but nobody does that sound nobody does that in a pedal absolutely not if if they did i'd own it and i'd be bragging about it but nobody does it definitively (laughs) now i always thought that wasn't that a result of overloading uh absolutely not no you'll have to read rolling stones gear it tells you all about it. <laughs> all right. All right. How arrogant was that? What? <laughs> what? I, I like it. <laughs> um, and, well, and is there now the actual recording of it, but was the, um, was the genesis of the, of the tune, uh, recorded from the, one of those, uh, portable recorders. That's, that's what I Absolutely thought. Absolutely not. Okay. It's, um, it's a Maestro fuzz. And uh, they had recorded Satisfaction a week before at Chess Studios with an acoustic guitar and harmonica, actually, an electric guitar. Uh-huh. And it didn't have any fuzz in it whatsoever. Right. The song, the, the concept of the fuzz, the riff itself, was supposed to be a horn section. That's how they envisioned it. That's uh, what Keith was thinking. Like, and like Ian, a sax? Sounds kind of like a sax, I imagine. Well, yeah, but, you know, like a Motown kind of, because yeah. they had just been in, you know, you know, oh. that that's what they were after. And then they went to L.A. and there are RCA studios with uh, Dave Hassinger, 
And um, he told me that, um, you know, they were in there and they recut the song again. And uh, this time Ian Stewart, the road guy who used to be the keyboard player, he was one of the original Rolling Stones. They threw him out because he didn't look cool. Uh, <laughs> but he re- he stayed with the band as their uh, road manager and road guy. Anyhow, he went out and bought a fuzz and they kind of didn't really know what to do with it. And so Keith started messing around with it and they, they did it. You know, they put the riff in using that. He used a, a Firebird 7 through a Gibson Titan amplifier, actually. And that's, that's the sound you hear. Wow. And Hassinger told me the reason why it sounded like that, the fuzz itself was sitting on top of everything and they couldn't really get it to sound right. And so he had to EQ the snot out of it on the board to get it to fit in the mix. Interesting. So, so that's why everybody makes these fuzzes and they'll make, you know, a maestro of, you know, fuzz again and everything, but it's not that it's the tone that was generated. And there's a slight reverb on it too, which gives it a definitive sound too. Mm. Very curious. Now, if you want to learn more about that, go to page one sixty seven. One sixty seven. And I got a picture in the book. I got a picture of them cutting it. Yeah. With the fuzz on the floor and the box that the fuzz came in underneath his chair. That's how much of a geek I am. That's fantastic. That is a very cool picture too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be wetting your your appetite for this stuff here for sure. Tony, count the pages in that while you, while we're talking. Um, Just go to the last page. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, Jared. <laughs> the last page is number six seven. Let, let me two. give you a tip. Go to the last page. <laughs> Wow, I was just going to sit here and start counting. I mean, Thanks, Jared. It's <laughs> one I'm here for. Good thing you're here. All right, so uh, you got the you got the fuzz. How about yeah. in terms of the overdrives? Is there anything in particular that? What? I'm not so much a big fan of an overdrive. It's or just something boost. that gives it a boost. Okay. Yeah. You know, I even found just a straight EQ pedal. You know, you get an EQ pedal. Yeah. Again, if you get a great guitar tone on an amp. And you just want to like, it's as if you would walk up to your amp and just turn it up two notches volume wise, same, same tone. You know, you, you get a good tone. It's wow. This sounds great. I just wanted a little louder to take a lead. Yeah. You know, if you need it to be real gnarly and you pop the fuzz on and you know, do the yeah. Hendrix thing. Yeah. Todd yeah. and I've been very partial to the, the EP booster. Yeah. Um, which there's a ton of good. Here's the thing with pedals. I remember years ago, there was only like a handful of companies that built them. And then, you know, I think there was like that prescription electronics guy, and a couple other guys that started making like boutique quote unquote pedals. This is like 20 years ago and stuff. And it was like really weird. Like this guy would make pedals. Now it's like any guy who knows how to like, you know, solder or something, he's making a pedal and he's got a pedal company and there's so many variations. You change one little tiny thing and it's a different tone. So it's really great, but you could really get lost. I know when I go to the NAMM show and you go down that oh, aisle yeah. of all those pedals, it's literally like mind blowing. I want to stop and try every single one, but it's physically exhausting. Ear to ear fatigue. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a question for you. You know, I, 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 know that the sound that you're talking about we reference this all the time um the idea of like i just want I, there is nothing that sounds like a guitar through a gas amp right oh yeah and, that's but, the best yeah. what happens you know you gig all the time so 
when you are in a place that doesn't allow you to do that, but you still need that tone, is that are you relying on an on an overdrive at that point, or how do you how do you navigate that? Get a Knox. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a ton of good pedals that do that, give you a little bit of edge without, you know, sounding like, you know, you're underwater with so much distortion, you can't even hear the notes that you're playing. Right. Um, you know, it's tough. I mean, you, that, I think that's why the popularity of low water jamps is so big right now, because, yeah. you know, most places where guys are playing are smaller venues and you really can't turn it up. You know, you're playing in a corner bar and, you know, you <laughs> you bring in a hundred watt Marshall half stack. You're not going to get paid that night because the bartender couldn't hear any of the orders. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, that, that happens, uh, many times when I'm gigging, they've got, uh, these guys rolling in there with the, with the, you know, their JCM. And, and, and the first thing a guy says is keep, he just, the thumb down, keep going down, keep going down. And then it doesn't even sound like a Marshall anymore. No. Well, yeah. Then it just, you know, they, I, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, it, okay. So tremolo, I love that you mentioned a tremolo. I really enjoy a good tremolo. Um, what pound for pound, what do you think? Who, what, what is the best tremolo sound? Uh, see, I'm one of those geeks that I don't just like, you know, a sine curve tremolo. I like a square wave. Yeah. Where it sounds too, like a man. saw. Like a that, that, helicopter. That, 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 that. I love that. I'll th- tell you what, one of my favorite sounds in the world is the sound of a Vox Super Beetle with the tremolo and the fuzz on. Now, a Vox Super Beetle, an original 66 Super Beetle, the only way you could turn the fuzz on is if you have the pedal for the amp. There's no knob on there that tells you there's a fuzz or anything. Mm. So you turn that on, and then you turn on the tremolo, and you put it on the intensity on full. It sounds like a saw. And then the <laughs> reverb sounds like, you know, it's like an Ampeg reverb, like an old Ampeg rocket reverb. It's, it's not a Gemini. Sounds like you're in outer space. It's the sound of the electric prunes. It's the best sound ever. So I always look for a tremolo pedal that has that. And if it has that, it always has all the other, you know, Fender-ish kind of sounds sure. that you can get out of it too. Sure. I'm I'm with you on the square wave, man. I I, I, I have got a song that like, I, that, the whole thing just starts out with that. It just sounds like I just said, goose the depth goose the goose the wave and 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 also i need a volume on it too and uh it just sounds awesome um there, there's that cool thing you get to do too when you do the like a bo diddly beat and you you time it in such a way so the tremolo is going with your rhythm yeah and then it creates but it doesn't work on a sine curve it only works on a square wave it sounds like things are cutting out, but they're not. And it's a beautiful thing if you could time it right. Yeah. How soon is now from the Smiths? Perfect. Well, uh, yeah, great he, he did a great job with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, boy, we could talk about this all day long. <laughs> Good thing we're gonna. Um, <laughs> tuner. Don't forget the tuner. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got to What's your, uh, what's your go-to tuner? You know, I've, I've, I've had them all right now. I, I tend to go back to the Korg stuff, to be honest with you. I, I mean, they're one of the original companies that, you know, I remember way back when getting one of those handheld, you know, because oh, yeah. you could only get like a, um, you know, a con strobe tuner or a Peterson was like a novel thing. Cause you didn't have to like fine tune it and stuff. And then, and then when you had these like small portable things, these $89, you got a Korg. I was like, Oh my God, you could fit it in a guitar case. Well, man, it's like something else. 
you could be backstage and actually make sure you're in tune before you go on stage. Yeah. Um, those are really cool. You know, and then a million other companies made them, but I tend to keep on going back to them because as a company, you know, they, they make all these elaborate keyboards and all kinds of other stuff. So they, they always seem to be very on top of it, you know, be it like one of those clip on headstock things, which are very convenient. If you just around the house and playing acoustically, yeah. but they're very accurate and they're fast too. It's the microprocessors inside there. Mm-hmm. They're really on top of that. So I keep on going back to those for some reason. Well, they do the job when you need them to. What do they call it? Basic black or something black or whatever. Um, none more black. None more black. Pitch <laughs> black. It sucks because you can never see oh, it. Oh yeah, on the cord, the cord pitch black. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you go to go looking for it on stage, you can never find it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we need to do a quick outro here and give thanks to John Finnell.com or yeah, well go there. Yeah. That's <laughs> and also that. the, the guy behind that John Finnell, he's a recording engineer, a mastering engineer and, uh, all around tone guru. Uh, he, I think he knows the difference between a sine wave and a square wave. I think he might. I think he might. Uh, John's got a fantastic ear and wants to make sure that uh, you get the sound that you want, which is really important when you're actually recording. Um, so yeah. uh, he'll help you find it. Go to johnfintel.com, J-O-N-F-I-N-T-E-L. And uh, he's at Relay Recording, as are we. That's where we're recording out of. So, well, yeah. Well, sort of. rec- yeah, albums and this. So <laughs> the anyways. same roof. Yep. So uh, let's see here. We're going to get on to... Andy's world of guitar stuff here. Uh, I, golly, I don't know where to start. I think I'm going to have to start with Tony because Tony, Tony is the one who said, Hey, I really think we should have Andy on. And as soon as I started to learn, you know, a little bit more about you, I was like, absolutely. Let's do this. So, well, let's, let's start with the, with the music side. Um, uh, these two youngsters, these two youths here are probably too young to remember, uh, the Chesterfield Kings. What are you talking about? Do you really, are you old enough? I'm 40, I, how old do you think 42? I am? I thought I mean, you were 30, you. 35, right? I'm 40. Seriously? No. <laughs> I'm 42. Yeah, you're too young. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, I remember as, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was a college student in I'm 19, old enough to be a massive fan of the guitar player in his new band. Ah, massive fan. Okay. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I was from up in Northeastern Ohio, Youngstown, and yep. we would always have a chance to, to catch the Chesterfield Kings every once in a while, either in Cleveland or Pittsburgh. And, uh, so I, you know, it was, it was at a time was, that band in particular was kind of, uh, I guess, would you say it was Stonesy, Yardsbirdsy? Yeah. Well, you know, we started in the late 70s and at the time like you know the genre of music you know what the press was calling a quote-unquote new wave or punk and you know we were a bunch of young kids uh you know i mean the 60s had just ended what not even eight years prior so it was like 78 or so and and we were like no man we're a 60s band and and it was it was kind of weird because people didn't know what the heck to make of us because, you know, they were trying to say, Oh, you're a new wave band. I went, nah, we're not a new wave band. We were like really an arrogant little, you know, <laughs> crap heads and trying to like be so like cooler than, you know, anything. And, and I think our third gig we ever played was in New York city at the peppermint lounge. And it's really interesting because at that show, 
um, David Frick and Kurt Loder were there. Oh, so wow. da- David was a writer at the time for a New York city magazine. That was like, kind of like the village voice, but it was a music magazine called the New York rocker. And they did a big like feature story on us. And like, we literally like exploded overnight. We had no clue what we were doing, but in that article, he called us a garage band ah. and it kind of stuck. And then now a garage band, it's like, you know, they named software programs, you know, but we were like the, and they would call us the Kings of the garage. Cause then all these bands were emulating what we were doing. And we were very fortunate to do an album. And at the time college radio, major record companies wouldn't service college radio. They wouldn't like Warner brothers or, you know, Columbia records wouldn't send free records to college radio. They just figured it wasn't worth it. So, um, what happened was the record company were on some independent label. They sent it to every college station throughout the country and they all started playing it. Next thing you know, we're touring, you know, we're like (laughs) 20 year old kids and we're touring all over the United States and stuff. It was like literally overnight. It was kind of crazy. So it was, it was kind of fun. You know, we're trying to, you know, buying all kinds of old Rickenbackers and Hoffners and Vox amps and stuff and trying to emulate that. And it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, I think there were, you know, there was a subgroup of the, you know, new wave or punk or whatever you want to call it that was almost sort of emulating the sound of the 60s, some of it psychedelia, some of it poppy, Brit pop, whatever. And, um, and then there were, you know, there was more hardcore and things like that. So it's, you know, all these bands got kind of clumped into the term punk or, yeah. or, you know, garage. Anything that sounded like different that. was kind of lobbed into that. Yes. Oh, you're a new wave band, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Now, one thing that's curious about the Chesterfield Kings is that, uh, that's maybe the long, longest roster I've ever, I, I may have seen, <laughs> um, as far as, uh, who's been in and out of that, um, which kind of makes it kind of cool and unique. Well, you know, I mean, you, you have a band for 30 something years, no, I think uh, uh, Kim Simmons from Savoy Brown has the record. Kim's a, <laughs> Kim's a dear friend of mine, you know, gr- great guitar player, you know, legend, Savoy Brown, great band, started in 1966. But, you know, they're still around now. He's had, like, I think hundreds of guitar, you know, hundreds of different, you know, band members. Mm. No, but you know how it is. I mean, you're young kids, people move on, you know. We've had guys die, all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, it's it, it just an evolution of a band. Sure. You know, and, and when you're like kind of an un- underground cult band and, you know, you're only making so much money, it's not like anybody's, you know, making this huge living off this band and stuff. So, you know, it, it, people come and go and whatever, but they lose interest or whatever. But, um, you know, I kept it going and um, then I got bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and what you do when you get bored is you uh, hook up with other amazing players who are also bored. Um, so you've got a new band, The Empty Hearts, and uh, it's quite a roster here. So uh, you want to introduce the, the your band here? Yeah, well, um, it's uh, Elliot Easton from The Cars is our uh, guitarist, lead guitarist. Uh, Wally Palmer from The Romantics is the lead singer harp player and a rhythm player. And then Clem Burke from Blondie is our drummer. And I play bass in the band. Um, and it was, it really formed from one of those things where, you know, we used to play like the Chesterfield Kings. We played, uh, you know, a crap load of shows with the romantics and Blondie and, you know, and, 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 and Blondie played with the cars and the cars played with 
romantics. And I mean, it was, uh, you tour together, you know, you, you hang out backstage, you, you find certain people that you just become friendly with because they're cool guys and they like similar kind of music. And, and inevitably you're having drinks and Hey man, we should do something someday. And, and then you never do. And then time goes on and you run into them again. Yeah. If you ever want to do anything, man, call me up. And we all stayed friends socially, like call each other and talk about like the three stooges and goof, you know, monster movies and wacky stuff, you know, guitars. And, um, and then like, but never, nothing ever happened. So like I said, with the Chesterfield Kings, I was just getting bored. And, and I remember talking to Joey Ramone, we were getting drunk in, in New York city one time. And, and he told me, he goes, I'm quitting the Ramones. I go, you can't quit the Ramones. You're Joey Ramone. (laughs) And he goes, he goes, no, man, I'm sick of it. Think of it from my viewpoint. He goes, if we do anything other than the Ramones style of music, people will hate us. And we put out another album and, and it sounds like the last album. And we go to the same places all over the world and we play in front of the same people. And, and, you know, it never gets any better. And then this band comes out of nowhere, rips us off a hundred percent. And just cause they're young kids, they're number one on the charts. And it was like when, when green day just came out and their album went like to number one, yeah. they, they were, cause it was a total Ramones ripoff. And, and he was just so bummed out. I'm going, I can't believe it. You, you're Joey Ramone. You can't quit the Ramones. You know? <laughs> and then, it, then I realized that years later I go, yeah, I mean, I, you do the same thing all the time. You put on a new album, you do a tour, you go to the same places, same people see it. It's all good, but it, it never elevates. So I decided to just move on. And, and, and I literally, Wally Palmer was on tour with Ringo. He was in the all-star band Hmm. Ringo's all-star band in there. I think they were going to South America or something. And he called me up and, uh, you know, he said, Hey man, we're going to South America. A great big shot. Yeah. Go fly around in Ringo's, you know, private jet. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I said, have a great time. You know, we're pals. And, and so, um, and then it just like dawned on me. I think I was driving in my car. I go, Hey man, remember when you were a kid, and you got like Stones records and Beatles records and it made you want to go out and buy a guitar and, and like play and start a band. He goes, yeah. I go, what if we started a band with that idea? I mean, we can't turn back the clock and be young again, but mentally we could go there and just get in a room with a bunch of guys like us and just like write songs and have fun. He goes, yeah, well, who are you thinking? And I go, well, Clem Burke had played in the romantics when Blondie wasn't playing for a while. And I, and Clem's a good friend of mine. And I said, well, get Clem Burke on drums. He's one of the best drummers in the world. Yeah. And who else? I go, Elliot Easton from the cars, man. He's like, it's one of us. He's a knucklehead. He, I'm he likes giddy. all this. I'm <laughs> giddy listening to this like crazy. Man. This is I go, I, I go, it, it's, it, you know, he likes all the same stupid stuff that we like, you know? And, and, uh, and I go, yeah. And he goes, but we all live in different cities. I mean, those guys are on LA. I'm in Detroit. You're in New York. What, how are you, how are we going to do? I go, look, just think about it. So about a month later, he called me back. He got off the tour. They finished a tour in South America and he called me up and he says, yeah, the tour was great. And I go, okay, big shot. Yeah. Flying around with Ringo <laughs> and stuff. You know, we, we, we bust on each other all the time, but he goes, Hey man, I was really thinking about that idea. I think we should do it. And I, I said, yeah, man, let, let's call everybody up. And so we called everybody and like Wally and I hopped on a plane and flew out to LA. We rented like just a little rehearsal place somewhere. And we got together and just like, you know, you used to do when you're a kid, you show up with your guitar and plug in and go, Hey, let's play some Chuck Berry songs. Let, let's play some Bo Diddley. 
Hey, you got any ideas? And it literally like, we just put like a phone on the floor and just recorded it. That's awesome. And then did it again a couple more Fly times. And I think, you know, we had all oh. these songs. Yeah. It, it, it was literally organic. And poor old Ringo's on the plane going, Hey guys, what about me, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we got Ringo to play on our new album. So how do you like uh-huh. that? That's There's badass. The segue. I, I cool. had a question about Clem. Can he still play dreaming all the way through <laughs> oh my god it's crazy about clem like we could be we could be just rehearsing right we just got to run through some songs clem has to bring a bag of clothing because <laughs> he he there's no such thing of clem laying back it could just be like just going running through beginnings and endings of songs he'll be a sweating pouring mess after he never <laughs> wow. holds back that's Full awesome all the time. no 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 he's literally one probably one of the best drummers in in the world literally i mean yeah. he he can do stuff that i've seen him do and i'm going holy crap what the heck are you doing you savage <laughs> i think my arms would fall off I, I was watching a an old snl that blondie was on and they did dreaming and i i was just like oh my i mean i knew it sounded great on the record but watching him just go through those roles for that long of a song without arms falling off yeah I don't know how, how he did it incredible Incredible. Um, well, that is. Uh, I mean, you're you're naming off people that uh, like I, I'm I'm smiling like a crazy monkey over here because I, I love that stuff and I you know I I love the team that you put together and um, it's uh, everybody needs to go check that out. Toot sweet. And uh, you know when this thing kicks kicks over and, and everybody gets out to playing again, uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch you getting around. Um, Tony. Why don't we introduce him? Introduce him as uh, as the master of a few other things. Okay. How about the How about the store? Let's, let's, talk, let's about talk about the, about the store. store. So, uh, yeah, how did How did that all come about? What's the history of the store? Uh, what do you like to sell there? Well, I've been in uh, retail in the music industry for oh gosh over thirty something years, and um, I managed a really big shop here in Rochester for years and years and years twenty something years. And, you know, I just decided that, you know, I think I, it was soon after Beatles gear came out the book, I decided uh, the way they were running the business, wasn't really to my, it was just kind of weird. So I, I decided to split and, um, and yeah, I figured I'd just start my own shop and I'm pretty well connected with all the different manufacturers. I had a great rapport with them and I just picked up the phone and started calling, you know, Martin and Fender and, you know, Andy, you're going to have your own shop. Yeah. You're a dealer. No problem. <laughs> it was like, wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> and, and it literally just kind of, uh, happened really like really fast. So, um, I didn't want to be a big store, you know, I don't want to be like one of these places where the store owns you. And then like, you can't have any freedom to, you know, go out and make records and tour and stuff. You know, I figured, I don't have to be the big guy. I just got to like have really cool, cool stuff, you know, touring with the Chesterfield Kings. And then, you know, I was able to go into music stores all over the world and I could just pop my head in any music store. And within like 20 seconds, know whether the rest of the guys in the band should come in. So, you know, <laughs> the bus or the van would stop in front of some music. store. I go, guys, let me just run in there real quick. You pop your head in. No, nah, no, nah, we don't want to go in there. It's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then there's other stores you walk in. Uh, no, you, you, we got to go in here. We got to spend some time here. 
And I wanted to have that kind of a shop where it was like, you walk in and it doesn't have to be ginormous. Like you go to London, you go on Denmark street and there's, you know, those tiny little shops. It's the whole street. It's filled with shops, but there's certain shops you walk in and you go, okay, this is all the real stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you go to a shop next door and it's like, nah, this is, <laughs> this is all garb. This is all stupid stuff. You know, you know, which ones right away if you're, if you're into it. And that's kind of the vibe that I have, but it's also not like a hard sell. You know, you go to these chain stores that like, ah, what do you want to buy? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. You feel awkward and stuff. So, you know, I remember the first thing I did, I bought this big, beautiful Italian leather couch and put it right in the center. And my accountant came in. He's like, you can't do this. I go, what do you mean? I can't do that. It's, it's a piece of fixture for the store. It's a tax write off. And he goes, no, no, no. Every square foot is supposed to have this much product for, you know, there's like an equation for like, you know, squares footage to like how much stuff you're supposed to show. And I go, I don't care about that. I want guys to come in and relax and like, you know, hang out. It's supposed to be fun. And, um, it's turned into this crazy thing. Like before COVID the, the whole pandemic and everything, uh, yeah. Saturdays would be, people would come in and they just laugh. They said, man, this is like Andy, a Mayberry man. It's like going to <laughs> Floyd, the barber shop. Like nobody's buying <laughs> anything, but everybody's hanging out, and, you know, having a cocktail and, you know, laughing about goofy stuff. And, you know, we got this big, huge screen and we show like, you know, all kinds of movies and like, you know, wacky stuff, three stooges. You don't even have to have the sound on, but it's just, you know, you know, what's going on, you know, cool music blasting and stuff, you know, it's, it's more of a vibe than it is one of those places where they just try to hard sell you. Yeah. And then it's fun. You know, then you could go there and it's just like a fun experience for me too, you know, well, and, have to and, go and there. on top of that, you actually have some incredible gear there. It's not, you're not rolling up on whatever the, you know, the last year's models that, that are being pushed are. I mean, you've got, you've got instruments with, with deep character in there. Well, you know, the key is, is, you know, myself being a guitar geek myself, you know, I look at it like it's got to be something that I'm going to dig and I'm, I'm pretty deep into it. So I figured if I like it, other dudes out there will dig it too. So, you know, be it, I go to the trade show or work with, with different companies that we work with, you know, I'm always digging for something that's just unique and kind of really cool that other people don't have, for instance. And it, you know, kind of gives us our own little niche. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so, and where can people find this store? Uh, we're in Rochester, New York. So it's upstate New York and uh, it's called Andy Bupuke's Fab Gear. Imagine that. Awesome. And you have a <laughs> reverb uh, store too, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we're, our web guys do, you know, uh, every different outlet that you have. They, sure, got, sure. <laughs> they got us there everywhere. <laughs> Nice. You just type in fab gear on the internet. You'll find us. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, okay. So now I think the thing that, you know, certainly Tony, he's been, he's been yapping about these books for after <laughs> actually a long time. So, I mean, you, you have a, you have a real, uh, megaphone over here in, in Tony. And, uh, so it maybe set up these, these books here, Tony, because this this stuff's in, it really truly oh, is incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the first obviously the first book that I got was the first edition of the of Beatles gear. I'm a big Beatles head. Yep. I think as we've discussed on the show before, and I was just amazed at the at the at, you know one the research 
the depth of the information that was in there, the photography. These are not the the the, the coffee table books you're going to get from Barnes and Noble, ladies and gentlemen. This is the. I mean, this is truly encyclopedic knowledge, photos, history, and lore of of you know two of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. Uh, I extensive. I, yes. It's, I mean, it, 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 it's a deep dive and maybe it's too deep for the casual reader, but anybody, no. anybody that, likes, anybody that's listening to this show, well, it's not too true. deep. Yeah. But their wives, my mom. Not. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, that would, that hooked me. Um, and, uh, I, I was just amazed. There was, I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. And that first book, the first edition that you have is literally half the size of the new edition. Yeah. I mean, so there, there is the original edition and then now there is the ultimate edition, which of course is, uh, I, once I started paging through it, I said, oh my God, there is more information in here. Even if well, you that, the that's first how I, edition. that's how I wanted the book to be initially. And, and, you know, first time author, you don't have a lot of leverage. And so they, you know, a British firm did it and Tony Bacon was the editor and he called me up and he said, he goes, I go, but you're, you're taking out half the book, man. This took me forever to figure all this stuff out. And they said, in a very British voice, it's Andy, would you like to sell a thousand books or 10,000 books? And I go, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I got it. Do what you got to do. <laughs> so, but between that, uh, I think was it was the Bigsby book, your second book? Yes. Yes. So, Fred Gretsch hired me to do that. That is, I mean, uh, again, another book that I got that I learned more. I mean, I was familiar with a lot, obviously the Vig- Bigsby tremolos and some of his guitars, but that is a deep dive into, you know, his motorcycle racing, his, uh, his, you know, initial lap steals and going into guitars and things like that. Now, uh, Tony and Andy, I know that most anybody listening to the show, almost guaranteed, I can almost guarantee they know what a Bigsby vibrato vibrato is. But um, Andy, maybe you can kind of share a little bit about like why we should care about Paul Bigsby. Well, the, the key about, Paul Bigsby, when I wrote that book and it came out, I got a lot of people giving me a lot of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Leo Fender did it all. Les Paul invented the electric solid money. I was like, well, actually they didn't, you know, Paul Bigsby did it. You know, he invented the solid body, modern electric solid body guitar as we know it today. And he did it in the forties. And it was well before Leo Fender. Leo Fender didn't know anything about guitars. He was a radio guy. Okay. So everybody who says Leo Fender, he didn't do anything. He copied a Bigsby period. I write it in the book. It's a fact. I'm not making the story up. I'm just reporting it. That's all I did. Um, You know, Les Paul, I interviewed Les Paul about 15 times for that book. You know, he was a night owl. You had to call him after midnight and stuff. He was a great guy. And I knew Les really well. But, you know, the, the problem about interviewing Les is you had to watch out because <laughs> though he invented a lot of cool stuff, Les also invented water, the sun, air, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so <laughs> the first thing I said, I said, Les, I'm doing this book on Paul Bigsby. Yes, I invented the Bigsby vibrato. No, you didn't, Les. You know, it's <laughs> tough. You, it's a very hard interview to do. But 
No, the, uh, the thing Paul Bigsby is known as you guys pointed out for his, you know, vibrato, which is excellent unit and everybody knows him for that, but it's really the guitars and also the, the pedal steel, you know, Gibson dabbled with it with the harp guitar, but he actually refined it. And it's really cool. Cause the book shows, you know, he was a pattern maker. He knew how to pour aluminum into a sand cast. It's an, it's an old thing that nobody does anymore. I mean, he actually used to cut like, you know, a, a pattern maker would take uh, a blueprint and take, wood and actually cut it precisely into the part and then take a sand cast and push the part into the sand and pour aluminum into it nobody does that he used to do it in his backyard he <laughs> it's a craft that he used to do that's how he did the all the parts for the guitars he made his own parts and you know even like like i said with the pedal steel he was doing motorcycles um making uh, crocker motorcycles with uh, paul uh uh and like he was so into like doing stuff. He actually used the brake system for that, for the, for the motorcycle to be the poles for the pedal steel. I mean, and those pedal steels are worth a fortune. Now his pickups go for a lot. Those guitars, you can't even touch them. I mean, they're like 40 grand or more. I mean, they're, they're so beautiful. And I've played a lot of very expensive, beautiful, rare guitars in my day, Gibson's fenders, all kinds of stuff. Um, Paul Bigsby's guitars, the, you know, the Billy Bird guitar, it's probably one of the finest guitars I've ever played in my lifetime. It's mm. the craftsmanship and what he knew how to do because of the tolerances he could do because of being, you know, a, max, a master pattern maker. He could, he used to put the frets in the right place. So the guitar was in tune, <laughs> you know? So, so like he, he knew his craft. So he's an unsung hero. And the once people read the book and they actually get the story, if you're a guitar geek as, as we all are, and you really read it, it's like, wow, this guy really was the guy. It wasn't Leo Fender. And the funny thing is a lot of people don't know that Leo Fender, um, Paul Bigsby and Les Paul were drinking buddies. <laughs> they used to hang out in Les Paul's backyard by the grill. Les told me the stories and get drunk and like talk, talk shop and stuff. Huh. It's fascinating. Can you, can you imagine? I, I mean, I wonder if there's a picture uh, of that somewhere. I looked, there aren't less, less bought them all. <laughs> yeah. Who's that guy who turned away from the camera all the time? Interesting. Well, uh, yeah, that's so, so there's the, there's the Paul Bigsby book. And so, uh, you know, Tony is is a great fan of the Beatles, and and then you have this this other really amazing book, and I don't know why, but I I'm a little bit more fascinated with this the Stones uh, one. Just ha not having read either one, but just there's a there's a little bit more. I think dark lore around well that band. it's a 50 year history. The Beatles is a 10 year history. Yeah, yeah. at the time that we you know, that I concluded the, the Rolling Stones gear book, it was 50 years, you know, I'm hanging out on tour with them and stuff. It was their 50th anniversary tour that they were doing. And so uh, it's pretty amazing, you know, um, you know, a band that had multiple guitar players, uh, Brian Jones with all the different types of instrumentation. I was very fortunate to be able to work, you know, on, on the Beatles book directly with, you know, the Beatles, Yoko Ono and, and then on the Stones thing, uh, you know, worked directly with the Stones. Bill Wyman uh, was at his house in London. And, and Keith Richards, he'll let me go through all his guitars and we photographed everything. I mean, Jeez. they were really wonderful. And 
you know, the thing that I was trying to impress to them when I was doing the books, the research for it, I, I said, look, this is not supposed to be some sort of like, you know, cheap knockoff book that you, you see at these bookstores and, you know, they sell them at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. This is a historical document. Your music's going to last forever. Okay. It's going to be in some format. It's digital. It's streaming or whatever, you know, years from now, it'll be some other wacky format that they invent. Right. But some kid a hundred years from now is going to want to go, man, how do they do this sound? How do they do it? And I said, this has to be documented. It's a historical record it has to be done. And that's why I got the cooperation from both the Beatles and the stones to do those books. And I, I'm pretty proud of it. It they turn out to be cool. And, uh, I well, think, you know, years from now they could be used as cool documents to figure out how it was done. I think that you, touched on it really briefly there. I mean, really, I, I, I'm not trying to overhype this at all, but I mean, looking at that Rolling Stones gear book, it is, if, if the Rolling Stones had their own Smithsonian wing, this is what that book is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy, you know, and, uh, I think on, it wasn't this past tour that they did, but the tour before, they were in Buffalo. So they invited me to come. They wanted some books brought to them. The book had just come out and they were th at the time they, they were just thinking about doing that museum thing. And, uh, it was <laughs> so weird. We're hanging out backstage and they're like, put me on the spot. Um, okay. So can you write down the top 20 guitars that we should put in the museum? <laughs> like, ah, can I use my book as reference? I am. You know, you, first of all, you're like kind of a little, sideswiped by that and I, I i mean you can't remember everything you know uh uh, uh yeah well this one uh, you know it was it, it's kind of really cool but you know i think they also realize that it's important hence they did the museum thing you know yeah, it, it is really tour, cool. that was a touring museum right mm -hmm. yes yeah, and yeah. it's still out there you know it's yeah. it's you know the COVID thing put a little damper on it but that's supposed to just continue to tour the world but in a weird way i kind of like to think that myself going at them so aggressively saying look man this is really important this has to be documented that they probably thought wow i guess it's like history things kind of important because when you're in a band you never really stop and think that you know what you're doing is historical you know people say hey man like they'll say what did elliot use on this song on the empty hearts record we just cut it a year and a half ago i don't remember and i should you know i'm supposed <laughs> to know all these things and when you're in the moment you don't remember but when you brought back to it you know so i think this working with the stones and you know of course with the beatles too it's sure. a similar kind of thing you know i think one of the things that really struck me just kind of you know thumbing through um i admittedly have not been able to to uh go through the it cover to cover but i will definitely be doing that um but just thumbing through it um as tony brought him in i was struck by how well you find the balance of of truly fantastic detailed photos of, of gear, which is the thing that we love. That's why we're listening to the show right now. And as well as the lore that is directly connected with it. And I think a lot of times if, you know, we find ourselves in bookstores or whatever, and we see something that's like a Beatles book or a Stones book or a Who book or, you know, whatever ACDC book, whatever your band is, that it isn't, it isn't targeted at people like us, real gear enthusiasts. Um, it is targeted at people who like the band. 
And that is the the real big difference between that. It's like if you want that, go to go over to Barnes and Noble on the on the uh, you know the sale rack. But if you want a deep understanding, not only of these of the bands, th- you know the gear that's attached to them, but like it's actual information about the gear that you hear us talking about often not just associated with those bands but these are the special ones that are so um we we cannot more highly recommend um uh, getting some of this put it on your christmas list for pete's sakes for goodness yeah sakes. yeah it's uh, in doing the book i was i was very careful not to make it a book of lists because you could right. quickly do that and there's been other copycat books that have done, like, you know, Grateful Dead book, you know, this kind of book, you know. And then it's just a book of lists and it's a hodgepodge. You, you, you can't, this is a, each book is a story of the band from a musician's viewpoint. Right. That's how I wrote it. And I wanted it to be a fun read. So it's not just you get clobbered with, you know, facts and details. You get the facts and details, but it's the story of the band as the band's progressing. So yeah. it's a fun read. So they tell me. <laughs> how about the right yeah <laughs> was it a fun yeah. right and a fun research laborious yes six years on one ten on the other wow wow uh, 10 was the stones yeah this yeah. 50 years man that's crazy that's incredible but it uh i mean you have something that will outlive you which is pretty amazing well thank you yeah um well, Andy, we are going to traverse over to our good friend Jared, That's who's right. who's sitting across from us, sweaty and messed up hair, and just loving every minute of this wild and craziness. I don't know whatever. That was a perfect description. This this was. journey we call this the journey. Guitar Knobs Podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I just man, I want to keep uh, I want to keep talking for ages about this stuff, but uh, let's. Um, Let's uh, head on over to Jared. What, ladies, what do you got for us? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for that little game we like to call Would You Rather? And first I sing a little song and it goes like this. Would you rather? This week's Would You Rather is, of course, uh, to honor these books. You're, you're, at a, uh, you're at a book signing and everybody's there. Everybody? Who's everybody? Everybody involved in these books and all the gear is there okay, all at once. All, all the, the bands gear. and all the gear. Everything. All the stuff. And you are the lucky winner. So you get to choose one piece of gear and out of two pieces of gear that they're willing to give away. So okay. would you rather have John Lennon's Rick, the 325? Black. Mm-hmm. Or... Instead, would you rather have Keith Richards' 1972 Tele Custom that, you know, it's got the big old wide range humbuckers? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the the funny part about the story I got to play both guitars. Oh, man. (laughs) All right. So So you really do have an informed answer. Yeah. Yeah, So so, so, so this is not like a guess where I go, well, you know, you already know which one you want. Listen, as you guys know, a three-quarter scale guitar is a real bitch to play, okay? So yeah. if you got big meatball fingers, you're like, okay. That telly's got cool from hell on it. And it's just like, you know, it's a you know, it's a telly. It's Keith's telly. And he had two of them. Oh, by the way, I, I had the receipt for the first one. 
to be able to show them, they wanted to know which one the first one was because they lost track. So that was fun too. Oh but I got boy. to play both. <laughs> and and uh, of the two guitars, though, as a player, I'd be more leaning towards the telly because it would probably be a more useful tool. But as far as a piece to have, John Lennon's Rick. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, we we all love both bands. It, it's people always ask me, "Well, which band do you like better?" I stop it. You know, I, right. I, they're both great. They're both phenomenal. You know, both of those guitars are phenomenal guitars. But there's just there's something about that Lennon thing, man. When I was a little kid and I saw Hard Day's Night, it flipped me out. I gotta have that. All right, okay, uh, Tony. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're a huge Rickenbacker fan, so like, yeah, well, how easy you know, is this for you? I mean, yeah, to have a guitar, I mean, as, as and I think as Andy said, as a player, yeah, the, the telly all day long, but uh, yeah, the Rick, come on, John Lennon's Rick, okay. original and and the original guitar, of course, would yeah. be the late fifties model. Yeah, we're not talking about reproductions here, people. It's the real thing. And that was, uh, it was originally a blonde instrument. No kidding. Yep. And he had the guitar over, taken over to a, to a, uh, auto uh, shop. Now, did like he, an auto shop. I did he do that or did, did, uh, Todd, Todd you're going to have to read that. that Beatles gear book. I hear it's all in there, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is all in there. It's, it's all so I hear all it's in all in there. there. You got to put on your Christmas list, my friend. <laughs> it's, it's already on it. It, I'm, I'm getting it. There's no doubt I'll about it. I'll need another million guys like you. We'll be all set. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I think we'll. I think you'll see a jump in those book sales here. But yeah, I as I I, I have to go with the okay. Go with the Rick. Come okay, on. Jared. Nah, you know I'm 43. Well, almost 43. And my old man, he was a huge Beatles fan because when he was a you know a kid and a teenager, that's when they came out. You know, he was a teenager actually when that came out. He was born in 1951. Yeah, teenager. So he he would listen to the radio and he'd have it down as quiet as he could, but his little brother still tattled on him that it was on at night, you know. Mm. But uh I like that little story. But anyway, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a big a, a Beatles fan as my dad was. You know, and I'm more of a I guess I don't know. This is really tough for me cuz I'm going to want to play the guitar. So I'm probably going to go with the tel- 72 Telecaster Custom. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, all right. I'm all just right. going to just get it out of the way and say it, rip the Band-Aid off, although it's a very hard decision to make. Yes, that is. I'm going to the, I'm going to the Tele. I, what about you, Todd? Well, it is a difficult decision, and not because of playability, because it's impossible to take away like the, the icons surrounding both of these things. Um, I think, if I'm being honest... I was more of a. I, I liked Paul's songs better than I did John's. Uh, just, just me. <laughs> Obviously, the, the what the Beatles brought was was you know it started almost everything, right? Yeah, but it's, it's unrivaled, man. But the rock and roll aspect, the dark lore of rock and roll surrounding Keith is like I got I got to go with the telly. Oh, wow! So now. Ah. So, even so, so the old guys go with the Ricks, the the young guys go with the Tellies. Yeah, and there's two of them. Yeah, yep. 
So there we go. Uh, well, that was a fun time. And if you want to learn more about these uh, instruments that we that we just referenced, it is all in these books. Uh, we're going to just do a quick out ski here. Um, we got to say uh, we're going to thank some people, and then we're going to make sure everybody knows where to how to get all of the stuff that each of us are hawking. So uh, Tony Baloney is going to set us up at this part of the show. Yes, there's a special group of people we like to thank. You bet. There are executive producers. Now, you may be wondering. I know you're not because you know the story. Mm-hmm. But someone I know listener, each and every one of them. One lucky listener out there is wondering how to become an like executive Santee producer. <laughs> you're Santi Todd, oh boy. <laughs> That's going to be your new name. Um, go over to patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs and you can find out how you can become a patron of this podcast a sponsor if you will yeah special couple levels you can participate in each level comes with a great great prize thank you package mm-hmm. uh, including things like t-shirts and barefoot buttons and keychains and stickers and all the good stuff but if you become an executive producer you get all the great stuff but there's one more thing, Jared. You get to have your name read on the thing. Your name read on the thing. That's what I'm going to do right now. So a special tip of the hat, just a regular hat, to Tom Barazin, Martin Cliff, John Daly, Chris Carney, Darren Gregory, Doug Christ, Michael Van Zant, Ken Sayers, Brian Robison, Michael Senchuk, Stefan Lamb, Johnny Knowles, Anthony Lanthrop, John Anglin, Tyler Bray, Brad Partridge, Chris Heidel, John Esterly, Doug Gann, Justin Jones, Brett Alexander, James White, Matt Hart, Liam Martin, James Pennington, Richard Kendall, Tyg Harmon, John Williams, Michael DeLucio, John Jackson, and Jason Roush. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you, but it's Todd. Yeah. There's there's another special. Group. There is. We have to hit. We have to put in that special uh, card, the black card, into that little oh, slot in yes. the elevator. It takes us to the to the penthouse. penthouse. These are our grand poobas. It's an executive producer with an exclamation point. Yes, a few of them. Yes, several. And as part of their great thank you gifts, they get a special fez to wear. Mm-hmm. That right. if, if memory serves right. Among several other things. They are required to wear while listening to the podcast. Yes. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So special thanks to these grand poobas, Jonathan Jerusik, Corey Nigro, David Kaminga, Cody Lane, Cody Foster, Sean S. Yes. Tommy Manasco, Mark Garten, Adam Johnson, Steve Keys, Zach Melton, and Tim Nowak. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You thank know what you. my one of my favorite things to do during the week is that most people don't like? I love going to the post office. You know why? Why? Because I get to mail people things, rewards. Thank you, And I yes. just sent one out to Montevideo, Uruguay. Wow. How cool is that? Somebody Ooh. down there is digging our show. Nice. Thank you, Santiago. Um, so, um, all right, Andy, we need to know a few things. We need give us a rundown on how people can get all your stuff. Which stuff are you talking about there, my friend? Okay. So <laughs> on, obviously, uh, where's the best place to get your books? Okay. So probably, uh, you know, Amazon or at a Barnes and Noble, they have it. Um, uh, you could also get it from our website, Andy Babukes, just Google us or, you know, just type that in. And, um, 
that we could send you an autographed copy if you buy it from the shop. That's even Hey-o. better. Yeah, and I suspect that you just get the straight the straight juice from that, right? You're not there's there's no squeeze outside of that shop, I imagine. <laughs> No. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. My shop. All, yeah. all, all proceeds go directly I, to I, Andy. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, honestly, you know, uh, tiny itty bitty editorial is like, that's one of the things, one of the issues I have with like, you know, um, some of the stuff on reverb is like, if you can get it right from the, from the seller, the buyer, the maker, or not the but the buyer, but the maker, they reap the reward and give them, give them the due, you know? Okay, uh, so and then how about your uh, your store is in Rochester? Yeah, Rochester, New York. You could go to our website, Andy Babuke's Fab Gear, or just you know search engine Fab Gear. You'll find us, and we got a lot of groovy stuff on there. And then the Empty Hearts. We got tons of new videos out. Our new albums on Wicked Cool Records, part of uh, Orchard Sony, and uh, that's out now. It just came out a couple months ago. It's called the second album. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could you could stream it on you know, all your favorite streaming places. Uh, you know, buy it on Amazon, CD, and vinyl. And like I said, we got Ringo on it too. So for all you Beatles fans out there, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Tony Baloney, where can people find your stuff? Just head over to PickGuardian.com. You can see the stuff that I have available for sale. I have some things listed there, but ninety nine percent of what I do is custom work. So just shoot me an email. Let me know what you need, what you want to use, what pickups you want to drop in. I do all the good stuff. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. I love looking. I literally, no joke. I just absolutely love looking at my guitars. And your pick guards are are truly a big reason. They're gold. Hey, Tony, that. I got to call you for some pick guards anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> you know the number. Yeah. <laughs> Look yeah, up I my do. name. <laughs> Jared, how about yourself, buddy? Yeah. Uh, if you need new pickups, uh, new pickups that look old to match your old guitar, I do aging and all that fun stuff. I'm the only guy that makes yeah, the T-top pickup with the right bobbin and all that good stuff. If you have rewinds or really old pickups that need re- uh, restored, I do that, and I take a lot of pride in doing that the right way. So, that's watch. a lot of what you feature on the YouTube show. Right? It is, yeah. The rewind time of the—it's a very short time, but it's—it's uh, it's fun to see the before and after and what I do and my messy shop. You know, you can just <laughs> yeah see the messy. And it's I, great stuff, though. I've seen yeah. every episode. I, I I think it's great. Yeah, got a couple in the can. So yeah. uh, watch out for the the next one. That it's usually be- do when you show up here, and unfortunately, they leave the can. <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, next one's going to be a, a conversion where you take old old wire off an original P90 and you put it on a uh, oh, bobbin instead. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I have a few people that have me do that for them. Anyway, brandonwampickups.com. Right on, right, right on. Uh, you can shoot me an email, Todd, at theguitarnobs.com. You can also DM me on Instagram, on our Instagram uh, channel, at Guitar Knobs. We would love to hear from you. We would love for you to send us your Would You Rathers, and we would love for you to support us on Patreon. Pretty please. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope that we have more discussions in the future. Um, our door is always open to you. If you got any new stuff kicking around, you need to give us a holler so we can help make it, uh, help, help get it to the right people, okay? All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, have a fantastic guitar weekend. Subscribe! Yeah. All right. That was sexy. <laughs>
I've spent the, the better part of the day wiping the egg off my face. I've got it all nice and clean. I don't want any more. Yeah, it is. No, it is. How is your last name best pronounced? Babuke. Babuke. I told you guys. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll take good care of you. It'll be a nice romantic waltz. It'll uh, be a dance. With some stinky liquor breath. (laughs) (laughs) Babuke. We've got literally a coffee table full of coffee table books here. (laughs) Andy Babiuk. And he's going to tell us. No, what? I did it. Damn it. Andy. Yes. He's left. <laughs> He's gone. Babuke. Babuke. Damn Babuke. it. Uh, now I'm for certain going to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure to check out our Instagram at Guitar Knobs. Catch you next time.